everybody. This is the San and Dada show. Show. Welcome to the. Say welcome to the. Welcome to. Create, create don't hate. Create don't hate podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to the Create Don't Hate podcast. Uh, with me this week, we have a very, very special guest. We have um, Team Singapore player, Team Singapore hero, <laughs> current national team head coach, Suhaimi Amran. Su? Hi, Sid. Thank you very much for having me here today. <laughs> he will introduce him. Uh, he'll introduce himself. Uh, take you through a bit of history about his background, and uh, we'll see where we go from there, lah. Uh, my background. Uh, I'll say I was born in a rugby family. In a way, my dad was an ex-national rugby player himself. Uh, but I didn't start off with rugby to begin with. Hmm. My primary school days was predominantly badminton, then football, other sport. Except for rugby. So you started with badminton. I thought you were just trashing Brian Lim for fun nowadays. Is nah, nah, nah. I wouldn't say trashing because you need to be on the same level. <laughs> I was just having fun with my good friend. You get what I mean? Yeah. And he's he's a talented athlete, mm. which you, you can see he can play all kind of sport to the extent he's lawn playing lawn bowling <laughs> with an average age of 80. Yeah. Yeah. And still lose. <laughs> yeah. So uh started off with badminton, football, and others except for rugby. And I get a lot of pressure and shit talking from my father's friends. Because mm-hmm. I was in the rugby community right at a very young age. Because mm. every weekend or Friday night, Wednesday night, mm. I'll be at my father's rugby training. Mm-hmm. Saturday will be a game day. My whole family or I mean my family himself will be down because my father wants them us to be around at police academy and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, then the whole entire rugby team. The police rugby team basically like, hey, you're such, you're Amran son and you're playing badminton. Huh? Are you, are you, I mean, to the extent in degradatory where are you a girl or whatsoever? <laughs> you don't have to play rugby, are you too scared or whatsoever? But I love badminton more than anything. Mm. At that point of time, physicality or whatsoever wasn't something that I was intrigued or big on, right? Mm. So only when I get older, maybe 11, 12 years old, I mean, maybe puberty helps <laughs> where I think I want to get involved in that cause of like physical uh, challenge where you are tackling, hitting someone or whatsoever, right? Mm. That's when at 12 after PS, uh, before P- actually before PSLE, I was asking my dad like, hey, I want to start to pick up rugby. Mm. I want to learn rugby. Mm. His eyes just lit up. Mm. Okay, so I was living in Bukit Batok mm. and the nearest rugby school was actually Greenridge. Mm. Uh, but also my dad knows Aoyong. Mm. from Saints mm. but Saints was in Potong Pasi <laughs> alright then and there wasn't bus service I'll yeah, carry yeah. on the story later I mean like there was no bus service so for me to travel to Potong Pasi every morning will probably take me an hour and a half mm. okay so get into Greenridge play my rugby there till sec 4 then after that I went over to St. Andrew when I was in secondary 5 mm. alright that before that like I only pick up the sports when I was 13 years old then at 14, I was brought into the Singapore under 16. Mm. So that was one of my like happiest moments where like speed up. And the first thing we did when I got into under 16 was a beep test then. <laughs> at 13 years old, I mean at 14, the rest of my teammates are sec 4 basically and I was in sec 2. Yeah. And doing beep test wasn't a fun thing to do. Yeah. But I mean, you always 
pushing yourself because you want to be part of that mm-hmm. setup. Yeah. You're a young boy and who doesn't want to be part of the national team at a very young age? Yeah. So then after that, from school, played on club rugby. I start. I think I start club rugby very early. Being mm. Amran's son, you have no no option, <laughs> no excuse, no excuse, and you have always to harden up, toughen yeah. up, or whatsoever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You cannot be looked upon as a softy. Mm. So I think I started playing club rugby at fourteen. <laughs> You get what I mean? Yeah. And half the time, I'm just getting bash concussion or whatsoever. But I mean, you just love the game. Played on until 16. I went over to SCC. Mm. And national team-wise, I'll be, I mean, under 16. Make the under 19 squad when I was fi- uh, 16 years old. Mm. At a very young age. And under 19, I progressed to the Singapore 7 squad. So, make the SEA Games squad in 2007. And then from then on... It just next minute I know I retire in 2016. <laughs> you get what I mean, and the moment just passed like yeah, that. Yeah. So that was basically my rugby career. The, I mean, I can't imagine growing up um, with with uh, that kind of uh, father figure with, mm. with that kind of positive influence, mm. and I think also back then community wise and and rugby wise it was more vibrant. Yeah, definitely. Right? Like every other day, you have some club training. Every mm. every other weekend, you have some carnival yes. or something to to pick up. Mm. And the game was really uh, it's different. a com- it's community involvement more than anything. I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the beauty about rugby, and you can know when we start playing, is every everybody wants to help you, regardless of mm. your club, your schools, or whatsoever. Everybody, mm. if there's an opportunity to help a rugby player, they will. Yeah. So you are already proud to be part of a rugby family, mm. regardless of your club. A country or whatsoever lah. Like mm. that's a saying, right? If you're a rugby player, any country you go to, you won't have problems. Yeah. Because a rugby club will adopt you right away. Yeah. Or whatsoever. Yeah. So that being said, also to my rugby journey, then now right after <laughs> rugby, the moment I retired on 26, I did my Achilles surgery. Mm. Boom! Straight into coaching, <laughs> full on. And if you ask me, have you missed the game? No. <laughs> Because I didn't get to stay away from the game longer than two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, the longest I stayed off rugby was three weeks <laughs> after the passing of my dad. I just wanted to take a break. Yeah, to because re- I was thinking like if I still go to training, I've been a bit emotional on that part yeah. you know, of that yeah. part. I right? then realized like shit, I still want to be involved. <laughs> Something you would have wanted also. Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. So that, that basically that's my rugby journey I mm. mean like from a young age right, I always aspire to play at the highest level mm-hmm. so when I was already like say like 216 I saw there's an under 19 right yeah. I want to be I the want to be first there. guy to yeah. be under 19 yeah. under 19 like this is just an age group rugby mm. I want to be playing national team rugby mm. okay, and probably this also comes from my dad Like I said, the first day I get the, you know, back then SRU used to give letter when you are picked. Yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. So yes. you wait for the letter box when yeah, your yeah, team yeah. managers say like, guys, uh, those will be selected. You'll get receive a letter yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, from the union. So I'll be like 14 or so <laughs> waiting letter box. Get it, run back up to my house, show yeah. my dad. Yeah, well done. It's a kids rugby team. <laughs> you get what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, he doesn't mean that literally, yeah. but he was like, hey, this is not the end path. Yeah. So then when I get to under 19, he repeats the same thing. <laughs> You're not in a men's squad. Make the C game squad. It's just a seventh team, not the 15th team. You get what I mean? It's a chasing, chasing, yeah. chasing game. Yeah. But I mean, I was, I mean, I'm grateful for to have that kind of father. Yeah. Where if he was like, well done, then I would be just like, okay, I'm good enough. You will not be improving. You, will not you be get growing. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, 
I still remember the day where I got my first cap for Singapore. Mm. James Forrester was our coach at when we were playing against Malaysia mm. at Yochukang. Mm. So Django went over to my dad and said, like, "Hey, I'm run." proud of your son he did very well and stuff like nah not good enough <laughs> I was like mm, that hug and shake I just got my first cap even Django was shocked you know in other probably back home in England or whatsoever yeah, when yeah, you get yeah. your first cap you're like that's mm. your moment when you get your first cap it's an honour and stuff yeah, like yeah. my dad was like not good enough mm. you get me I mean he was a strict father figure but glad to have that if not I'll be just chilling somewhere mm. doing nothing mm. or succumbing mm. to second best mm. and stuff like that yeah I think it's uh, important mm-hmm. uh, I mean we, we will talk about it a bit more later the, what the next generation of athletes need and all that mm. um, right now I think a bit more about your your stories and all that so okay so 2000, 2007 SEA uh, Games yeah how old were you back then mm, turning 19 if I'm oh. not wrong turning 19 wow yeah okay 18 I what yeah. was it like wow it was quite an eye opener mm. because I was still playing age group rugby but club rugby I was already playing division 1 and stuff like that mm-hmm. however to make that squad yeah is I would say an honour because I was with one of the most talented rugby players there yeah, yeah. yeah. you know you probably know them like the our of captain the game, yeah, yeah Rong mm. Ching Siang Ismail Kadeh Mm. that guy who doesn't age at all <laughs> uh, Tong Ching Hong Kate mm. you know all these bloody good household names that you household you know you, you like wow and, but what really opened my eyes is not just how good they were a rugby player but what they do off the field yeah their work ethic is second to none yeah you get I me mean? you can see a captain like Rong he can be walking wobbling outside the field but the moment he steps on the field he won't give an excuse or whatever yep. he'll be in the gym day in day out mm. and I see players sacrificing their time off from work family time just to make sure they be in the best of shape for the mm. national team mm. and you have a team manager Rizal mm. you get I mean who actually do beyond his duty mm. and he was back, I think he was a GM then <laughs> You get I me mean? yeah, the yeah, highest yeah. post in Something the union, like however, still works. Yeah. Off because of his passion for the game. Yeah. The team manager for the sevens team. Mm. And you see the workload he needs to do, the time off his mm. family and stuff. I mean, like, I was in an environment where everybody wants to be part of something special mm. and willing to sacrifice for the sake of the country. Mm. So it was it was really to me, it's not just making the squad, it's to be part of something special. I mean, that was really, really amazing. And to the extent going in there, right, there's no hiding place. Because mm. everybody was hardworking. <laughs> everybody is talented, skillful. You get what I mean? Or yeah. You cannot say, oh, I got this and that. Everybody sacrificing their family time, their work and stuff like that. Yeah. To the extent some of them don't work for that one or two years just to make sure they make it to SEA Games. Yeah. yeah. It's a big, huge sacrifice. You know what I mean? Like mm. other countries, of course, say, oh, this place is getting paid. Mm. But we are in an environment where the truth is we, we don't have the money to pay players but yeah. are you willing to sacrifice for your country that's the I think that's the thing that um, a lot of the people in the rugby community tend to overlook mm. right right. Um, I think currently if you talk about the pinnacle of of representing Singapore it will be like SEA Games Asian Games mm. and uh, <clears throat> it's one thing to say okay I, I, I come for training twice a week uh, after school after work but it's a different thing to say that eh, mentally, physically, and socially, everything, SEA Games is my goal. I need to be very, very focused. I need to get my body mm-hmm. to where it needs to be. I need to, you know, 
nutrition, diet, mental state, everything, the the amount of resources invested in your own self, in the team, uh, is very different. Mm. If you look at the other sports, the, your your guys like swimming and all that, you think they <laughs> you think they, they go into the pool and automatically get a gold medal. Nope. No, they, they swim they four five times and they're in the pool like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Yeah. Why? Because they have school work. Correct. They never use that as an excuse yeah. because at the end of the day, when you go compete with Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, right? Oh, they are no, not going to care. <laughs> oh, you have work? You this, I'm here to compete. Yeah. You there? You're not yeah. there. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we need to understand our restriction, what we have. But hugely to me, I, now that being part of the coaching team or head coach of Singapore, right? One thing that made me realize is that being a national player sometimes is not about being the best player in the country. Mm. It's about how much you're willing to sacrifice for the country. Mm. Meaning to say, like you say, when you are part of a national team, right? You are no longer just doing Tuesday, Thursday night training. Mm. Your lifestyle, your lifestyle basically changed towards around and work around the national team program. Mm. Meaning to say, you can you can eat whatever you want. Mm. You can do whatever you need, or you can start. You I mean you cannot sleep late and stuff. It is how do I say I mean like you have to literally live and breathe rugby mm. to the extent you need to take care of your body Yeah, you know what I mean you need to sacrifice your family time your girlfriend time mm. you know what I mean basically your first girlfriend is your uh, rugby ball mm. or your teammates mm. you get what I mean and you have been part of it before and I have been like to, to the extent right we have to make a lot of sacrifices essentially yeah. Yeah. to the extent where everything is rugby first mm, mm, second mm. because to make to be at the best of what you call that uh, position before you compete in sea games or even whatever tournament it is right there's a lot of hard work behind the scene a lot you get what I mean and you say Tuesday Thursday is enough you are playing with against some teams that are training twice a day mm. five times a week yeah so if you think twice a week is enough, then you're, I mean, you're just bullshitting yourself. Mm. And the sad part, yeah, oh, we have work with and that. Your opposition doesn't care what you have. <laughs> yeah. Your opposition there is, I'm there to win the gold medal. Yeah. If they get paid, good enough for them. Mm. But you see, I mean, there's a lot of true story where some of the Olympians are not even professional athletes. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean, they sacrifice six months, eight months of work, not getting paid yeah. to compete. Yeah. And they're not even guaranteed a money program they are not on like spec tax or whatsoever where you have given a bit of money it's a sacrifice to be there yeah. and when you make it then everything comes naturally yeah so we need to be able to make that sacrifice first mm. Mm. the okay <clears throat> let's go back to to you um so 2007 after the sea games i think you were you, were you the youngest in the squad youngest yes second was brian and derek chan mm. So after yes. that, you uh, to say I have to do all the laundry work. <laughs> this one, and my roommate was wrong things young and easy. Finish. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I still managed to push it to Derek and Brian. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So so after 2007, after the SEA Games, um, you came back and then uh, you played on for a few more years. Yeah. Um, what what was it like in the 15 setup? In ma- any major highlights or any memorable tournaments or key moments that you really remember? key moments after SEA Games right SEA Games one of, one of my pinnacle making that squad itself the bronze being bronze for SEA Games was just secondary mm. but making to the team was mm. to me is a bigger uh, winning than the bronze medal itself then next moving on I mean I was just trying my best to get both 7, 15 it's year in year out I mean doing my best to make the squad yeah. alright second when we 
getting three years top point scorer, just being on the board, mm. kicking points for the country and stuff like that for mm. 2011, 2012, 2013, if I'm not wrong, in the what the trip we go to Korea and stuff like mm. that. Mm. Uh, and second was the uh, beating Malaysia in their home ground mm. in 2015, if I'm not wrong, the last minute penalty kick and stuff mm. like that. Mm. Yeah, so that's one 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 of my highlight mm. of my rugby career. That was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, if you ask, the biggest fondest memory I have is still getting that letter <laughs> under 16 letters. It's like, true. You, you get what I mean? Yeah. The, the feeling of the euphoria feeling where I made it. Yeah. Even though to me, my dad was like, ah, that's kids rugby. But to me, it's like, shit, I really get a letter being able to present my country, being the elite 20 top 30 in the whole of country, uh, whole of Singapore to be able to represent. It yeah. was like a big thing, even though it was just a letter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get what actually, I mean? all these things we, nowadays we take for granted. Yes. Right, we just. I think nowadays we just send out a list. Okay, congratulations, whatever, and mm-hmm. that's it. Or we use social media or whatever, right. and then. In a way, we disrespect the jersey a lot. Mm. You get mm. I me? Mean? It's not a big thing. It's like that's why when I got on board 2019 as Menko, I say like I want the jersey to be special, mm. different from other age group. Nobody's using that jersey, so it's like carry. Look, take a look at the All Blacks jersey. Mm. Their age group. Any jerseys looks the same as the All Blacks jersey? No, no, because it's a medal itself to to be wearing that jersey. Yeah. So we need to make sure that being the national team or our jersey or polity is something special. Yeah. You mean in in Singapore when it's free, nobody cares. <laughs> the moment you see something, people queuing up. Everybody wants to queue up. You get what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It's a culture in our country. So. Yeah. Um, okay, now let's go into coaching. Ah, huh? so you mentioned that after after playing, you went went straight into coaching almost immediately. Um, how do you get started? Um, how did that sort of sink in as the path of choice? All right, actually, I started coaching or play around with coaching a lot earlier mm. since I was in school or maybe at my. When I make national, it was actually Piros who asked me whether I want to help him coach here and there or whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I was like, at a point of time, no job, nothing, only playing rugby, right? Mm. So I did help him coach here and there, and I started off with peer secondary mm. for about two years. Then after that, I was coaching Novista Primary School here and there. Later on, then after that, Sam Chan approached me to be a rugby development officer in Sariu for a good one and a half years and stuff like that before I stopped, like coaching full-time or whatsoever at a period of time mm. then it was actually I already started coaching at a very young age or so mm. so then after that go focus on playing the moment I retire 20, uh, 2016 did my surgery and stuff right the first person to approach me to go back coaching seriously was Sam Sharp back then was the SEC rugby convener yeah say like you like to coach the Colts team so I said alright I'll start from the bottom first alright and at the same time also I was coaching taking on the role as SEC 7 head coach Right, with something which I was very inclined mm. to. Mm. Uh, then from there, from SEC Colts, I went out to the third division, second Tankers, then to the Premiership. Now on, then Sevens has always been from 2016 mm. till now. So I think it's natural. And like I say again, since my playing days, club. It's not the highest pedigree of coaching, so I want to test myself with the national team. Mm. However, before I go into national team coaching, I have to win things to show that I'm capable of. Earn your stripes. You yeah. get me. Earning the stripes is the mm. main thing. So I have to win with my sevens team first. Mm. So after winning club sevens with uh SEC for three four years in a row, 
And after that, we won SEC won the Negeri Sembilan Sevens mm. first time for a local team to even win a tournament in Malaysia where you know Malaysia take pride in their sevens yeah. and we probably have four Fijian <laughs> four Fiji team in the cup finals mm-hmm. or sorry cup semi final and stuff like that for me to win for us to win that it's actually a big achievement mm. and then on national team George Danapal approached me to first coach the Singapore under 27s then on to the men's the men's uh, seven team in 2019 mm. so yeah that's the journey before we go into the national team stuff right uh, tell us more about like what you what you do for SEC I understand you do a bit of coaching for the academy yes so academy my role is a bit more of director of rugby so mm. I'm coaching mm. the coaches mm. so below us we have about 40 plus coaches <laughs> so it's also a good challenge where I at a very young age 2016 then mm-hmm. was learning how to manage yeah 38 over oh, back then was 38 now I have more because mm. essentially from under 4 to under 17 I mm. have 6 coaches at the very least per mm. group so my aim was to have we play the same rugby from under 4 to premiership rugby so we have a systematic uh, pathway that from coaching or playing we have a systematic pathway so when we get to premiership essentially every we have our own brand of rugby you get I me mean? so that's my role to make sure that uh our rugby te- technical wise and our culture as a club stays on uh, stays with the vision to make sure Brian Lim doesn't coach lawn bowling la, at, uh, uh, is he still in rugby <laughs> uh, I'm not too sure <laughs> okay. yeah um, but that guy even with all the sports I think give, it cre- give credit to him he's quite very passionate for the club itself he'll be looking to recruit people week in week out mm. and stuff like that he'll be a good insurance agent to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah out and out club yeah. man he, yeah he's a true black and gold <laughs> okay um yeah so I, i i think that that must not have been easy for you uh, as a director of the academy mm. um i mean from what you're saying and i think the i think the important step that uh, all these academies need Mm. because it's easy to have the commercial factor right yep. kids come in uh, they spend how many hours a week they train they learn the game and then mm. that's it but what does it mean what's the pathway mm. what's the bigger plan that kind of thing so it's important to have that for the academies and that's something you you I mean if you talk about sports academies you talk about kids academies that's something mm. you see in the football academies huh? correct right um, not so much in the other sports and I think it's important for rugby in the past we used to have that mm. like Uh, all these clubs they used to have the junior programs Correct. and they go to the schools to mm. get their get the boys in I mean like you said Correct. you started playing for clubs at 14 and, and things like that but then that stopped for a bit mm. so uh, yeah but that also comes with a lot of ruling that being in place mm. you need to be of certain age to Correct. play club rugby then it's also good to protect so that if there was a rule then probably my body will be <laughs> half functioning <laughs> you get what I mean but also essentially you mean running an academy sounds like cool and stuff like that but essentially right what it does is actually lay a very strong foundation because at the end of the day for high performance to perform your foundation must be strong yes essentially your grassroots yep. your development you get I me mean? for example if we go back to I Liverpool Football Academy or Man United Football Academy they invested millions of dollars mm. to run the academy mm. but only one or two make it to the main team yeah. but is it still worth investing yes, yes. Yes, you get. I mean, we have, I think, regress or not look into development or 
grassroots rugby for I think two three years. Mm. That's why I make sure or SEC rugby as a whole make sure that we focus on that part, and naturally everything will trickle down nicely. Mm. And two years ago, we have the first batch of under seventeen graduating to the men's rugby. We have seventeen new players. Mm. If you know the light of Felix, Rafael, mm. and stuff like talented yeah. young rugby yeah. players, but when they try, uh, when they transit from academy to club rugby, it's not a shock. Yeah, they know the culture. They yeah, know the really, playing style. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's not totally new to them, and it's it's a seamless transition. Mm. It's easy easy for them to slot in, and um, yeah. I, I mean, I can see. I saw firsthand the the kind of impact that they made also, lah. Mm. Um. Then when okay so so after that you approached for a national team coaching job, and you started off with under twenty sevens, and I think there were a few AFU tournaments. How yep. how was it like with the under twenty squad? What was the difference? So under twenty squad, it was quite a short stint. So Daniel Mark was my team manager. Mm. Also knows. I mean, it was a good combination. I believe. I mean, we can trust his rugby knowledge and technical, and also his administration skill, right? So in a sense, where we managed to get two tournaments under the belt before going to the Asian under twenty circuit in Hong Kong. Mm. All right. Uh. First two tournament is really for us to battle it out to see what's going on and stuff like that because I don't have, we sometimes teams build after two years, but I have like a short stint of six months to figure things out. So then when we went to Asian Seven Circuits Under Twenty in Hong Kong, I think we did quite alright. We got fifth place, uh, fifth place overall, almost beating Korea that mm. game. Mm. And I don't want to mention him or whatsoever. As much as I'm the hot headed all the time. My team manager wanted to run in <laughs> for certain instances. It was the first. I was like, "Whoa, okay, he's the hot back cop now." So I just cooled down. <laughs> All right, to that extent, we could have possibly won Korea that day mm-hmm. and made it third or fourth. But yeah. at the end of it, that's just a part of the process. These young boys need to experience the learning curve, hoping when they go to men's rugby, they don't make the same mistake or whatsoever again. Mm. Yeah. The exposure, I think, is a bit lacking, right? Mm. Um, if not, some of these boys that are really, really talented, the mm. first time they get exposed to like really high performance, high standard of rugby, they are in the men's sevens team, and then they get a shock, mm. right? So they need to really need to enter earlier, mm. need to get exposed earlier. After the, after that. After the under 27s, then you moved on to men's the sevens. men's sevens in twenty for the twenty nineteen twenty nineteen. So I was coaching the uh, under twenty was twenty sixteen twenty seventeen. Mm. Then I didn't got I was so then after the year I didn't get the appointment for men's rugby, so I went focus back to club rugby yep, yep, for yep. men's. Yep. Then after twenty nineteen, then I was appointed as head coach for mm. men's sevens. And that year was twenty nineteen Sea Games year, yeah. and I only got six months. <laughs> It was also a culture shock, but to me, it's a challenge. Yeah, you get me. It was really testing my ability mm. because six months, you yourself know nobody can do anything. You can't do much. Okay, let's say we win, yeah. which we don't, we didn't, right? Mm. We win. Can I say I'm good at coaching, or mm. I'm just lucky to have a good bunch of players? All right. Yeah. If I lose, is it because of my coaching? Because I didn't have the time to set up my foundation or how yeah. I want to run my thing. You get yeah. me? It's a very strict. However, I took it as an opportunity to really put my foot in, mm. challenge myself, mm. and 
see how it goes from there and then you can have a jigsaw puzzle rather than bitch and moan I am someone who rather to be part of it and we fix from there mm-hmm. rather than ah, uh, I mean everybody can have their two cents worth opinion complaints neck bitch get in and see how it goes mm. and now later on I mean the anti-national team committee has trust my work and now I'm progressing to stay on in the longer term to help uh, with the men's sevens and also women's sevens at the moment mm. um, what, can you run us through the six months of the 2019 campaign like um, what it, what was it like I mean it's your first first uh, sea games mm. as a coach kind of thing so I mean like you said like, six months is really really short time short, for yeah. you to really do anything and you went in with the right mindset to be positive and all that but I'm sure it wasn't easy so how was it like yeah definitely it wasn't easy but if it's easy everybody could have done it yeah yeah but it's not I mean not something new to me mm. I've been running club rugby mm competing in SEC 7 International where the standard is a lot higher. And uh, preparation and also, also I, more. Is correct. I don't, <laughs> professional preparation sometimes. Correct. We, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't have as much support as running a national team. Mm. We don't have that money, as much money as the national team mm. or whatsoever. We don't have the field. We, I mean, we have a good field, but we don't have whatever we have in national team. So mm. I'm used to that before. And what I was lucky when I was running the SEC 17 bunch of driven rugby players yes. who to the extent if I ask them to train Monday to Sunday they will do it yes. Remember, uh, the Sunday Fort Canning run you me, the- that was Saturday or probably Monday morning Yeah, we do something afternoon we do something we, yeah. we were trying to mimic something very closely to how painful it is on SEC 7 itself. You get yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You could be training one year round, but you yeah. come to SEC 7, the first two minutes, you're just catching your breath. Yeah, yeah. You're not even catching the ball. Yeah, You get what I mean? So, it's not something new to me. So, bringing that to Singapore setup. All right. So, I'll try to focus on things that I can control mm. to that extent. Yes, we have a budget for only six months here and there. However, I managed to see, because I, did, I was fighting because we were having a program, the ongoing 15th program which take president because it was an ongoing tournament that they have to compete, mm. which is nearer in, was June or May something. Mm. Mang Lee was the head coach then, if I'm not wrong. So priority, some, I, I've lost half of the team that is competing in 50s. But to me, it's still rugby. It's important to compete. Mm. So I told the NTC, whoever is remaining not involved in the sevens, can I start in April? So that I can do all the base running, the groundwork in April. I don't need. I don't want to get. Uh, if it, I don't need to get paid, but allow me to run and please support me the venue or whatsoever. So we started off from April to May. At the same time, where the fifteens are competing, the rest of the boys are not just sitting down and stuff. Right? They're doing the groundwork. Mm. So when we reassemble in June or July, everybody comes almost the same base work. Mm. So then the problem with that. So I have only like essentially I have four months before. December SEA Games. Four months, I have fresh young boys that have minimal experience. Yeah. I have players coming out of 15th program. Yeah. So I cannot push too much. I might burn out the 15th player. I need to push hard because I need to expose these young players to see whether they have it or whatever it takes to compete in the SEA Games. So it was a really fine line for me to adjust here and there. So essentially what we need to do over the span of two years, I have to compress it six months. Mm. To be honest, I was pushing the boys to the age. All right. To the, I mean, fair enough, hats off to my players. There was a bit of complaining, bitching, moaning, which even if both of us yeah. we would do the same thing. Yeah. But they stayed on understanding the goals towards it. But essentially, we were cramping it 
too much within a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Because remember, understand our players are so not professional, so I have a work commitment. So for them to take off time, work and stuff, I need to rotate my players here and there. So essentially, we managed to get it over with, and I managed to expose players here and there to big tournaments. Like for example, a young player Hidayat. Mm. Fresh off the scene, very talented young boy, but he has very little experience at the highest level. So whatever he does at school rugby or club rugby, he can get away with. He cannot get away in Asian rugby seven circuit. Mm. You get what I mean? So and just imagine you're a young boy, you're exposed three, four tournaments back to back. Yeah. And what on earth is going on? You know what I mean? Or not? And yeah. fair play to him, he soak it up pretty quickly. But however, I still wish we can do the same thing over a span of two years. Mm. So then I can also develop young people, have time to manage certain players and stuff like that, and also manage the workload over a period of time. However, we have six months. It was a challenge both for me and my players. Mm. You get I me mean? to the extent where we really need to adapt. So the team to going against was, I said to the team was be like water. You go to this tournament, the bus might not rock up. So we also having a laugh when we went Sea Games, the bus rock up late. <laughs> the journey from the hotel to our training ground was actually ten minutes or twenty minutes walk. We took almost an hour plus to get there with no traffic jams. <laughs> so we were just singing, see like be like water. <laughs> you get I mean we don't want to let external matter affect us and stuff like that. Mm. So now I mean it was tough. However, I mean we have to adapt. Essentially, yeah, you get I me. Mean? And I can see how I wish I have this, have that. But the real world doesn't allow you to do that sometimes. Mm. So we adapt. Players get in, and now that we have an opportunity to really work our way up with big, uh, much more time. So I have no excuse to not being able to execute what I what I want to execute with a bigger space and mm. time. Mm. What would you say is? I mean apart from the points that you mentioned, what would you say is like the biggest difference um, from coaching the SEC 7's team year in and year out mm-hmm. and coaching the national squad? What's the biggest difference? I mean, one, uh, I, I cannot say it's a different, to be honest. It's like the mindset is totally different from both teams. Mm-hmm. All right. For SEC 7's, right? they understand they want to compete at the highest level and challenging themselves. Mm. So the mindset, and also like I say, most of my players in this SEC 7 team are self-driven. Yeah. <laughs> you get what I mean? They are crazy. You yeah. get what I mean? Yeah. They are just breaking boundaries year in, year out. Yeah. And they understand, that they are mature enough to understand what it takes to compete at that level. Yeah. All right? But also in Singapore team, we also have very young boys. Mm. And some of them are not even exposed to the highest level of club rugby. Mm. But that's also a good thing. So you can mold them. Yeah. All right? But the perks is you are representing your country. So yeah. that should be a a feel itself yep. a drive or motivation itself to be so the biggest difference is actually right <laughs> I cannot really see the difference it's actually the same thing the same thing but they are I mean like you said la, the SEC 7s I, I mean I've have watched them prepare and I've seen the boys play for mm. so many years watch you coach them for so many years the, the drive and the motivation really mm. comes from within. Mm. Nobody else can sell them the carrot that, hey, um, there's no price money to, there's no like there's thousands no of dollars, they're no not going to get paid. Nothing, yeah, nothing. nothing. And these boys are, these guys are committing their hours day in, day out, extra sessions in the gym, like you say, lunchtime mm. sessions, and stuff um, like that. weekend sessions, and they are putting in the hard work and the fitness that they do go that. through. And to be honest, what I did with my SC7 boys and the national team is nowhere close 
I'm really pushing. I mean, the net, the SEC Seven boys hates me more than <laughs> the Singapore. I mean, a lot nicer I, to I, the Singapore I, boys. I, I would imagine that, lah. Correct. So, but the thing is, I'm not doing that because I'm a sadist or whatever. Mm. I have to prepare them. Yeah. You get me. Make my always my big motto is make training hardest, game day easy. Yeah. You get me. And they see the reward when we train that hard. We might not be the most skillful team on the padang. But we are the fittest. Mm. We can run team down, all right. And 2016, we won the plate champion. We lost to the French development team, mm. 21-14. The Australian development squad, 21-14. You get me, not? Mm. So essentially, the hard work pays off. And I mean, it it comes with maturity. And I hope. And it's not fair for me to compare SE Sevens and Singapore because mm. I haven't have that time with Singapore team. Yeah. Yeah. You get. I mean, yeah. over over time, probably we have this culture where everybody is very driven. Yeah, they understand what it takes to be a national player. Because mm. now at national team, we use the national team program to make our players fit. Yeah, back then we get fit <laughs> to make so sure that, that I can earn that jersey. Earn that jersey. Yeah. So when we come in, we are not from the zero yeah, 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 zero yeah. start. We are already yeah. we we will everybody. Have you been training? No. <laughs> but we are secretly doing our run, yeah, gym yeah, work, yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's a different culture mindset. Yeah, you get me. And also, I say, I see players are a lot older, mm. so being there, the maturity is different and stuff like that. So I hopefully I can cultivate that culture in how I cultivate my uh, culture in SE Sevens to bring mm. it over to Singapore Sevens mm. with the additional motivation of representing your country. Yeah, you yeah. get me. It's a drive itself. You know, for me, like for me to be at Sports Hub every morning way earlier than the players. Mm. Do I need to do that? No, mm. but because this is a national team program, I respect it, mm. and I want my players to know that if I make you wake up early, I will wake up earlier. Yeah, just for the sake. Yeah. You don't need a head coach to be in the gym. To don't be honest with you, don't need. You get I me, mean? but we are in this together. Yeah. So it starts from me first. Then yeah. hopefully my players take it on board, and then maybe in one or two years or three years down the road, yeah. the culture have we have a, we have a very strong culture foundation to understand what it takes to be in a high performance team or what it takes to be in a national player. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think you definitely need time. Um, I think the it, it's a double edged sword that mm. you had. Uh, two years off because of COVID. Double mm. uh, sort sort in the sense that um, it's it's bad because these boys have not been doing anything for two years, not not been together as a team for two mm. years, and they would have lost uh, certain elements of the game, mm. uh, whether it's vision, competitiveness, or, or whatever. And but the good thing is, I think you you have a bit of a blank canvas to start. Correct, agree. Yeah. And also, certain some old players, yeah, like Nick Yao, he mm. cannot complain. He got knee problem or whatever. Fresh, two years, <laughs> two years break. So we have had three more years <laughs> of his playing career. But Jay also had two years break. Uh, yeah, still. if he minimizes his bicep curling <laughs> and do more on his leg work, I heard possibly. he can run faster with his arms. You know. That's why we were trying. That's what Yao has been saying. If he's handstand, he'd probably be a fast guy on the way. Jay Heikel, handstand Bronco. Oh, he probably top. Yeah. No, but at the end of the day, I mean, Jay is also a good leader on the field, mm. of the field, as much as he joke like a clown. Mm. There's certain element of him that I like yeah. him to be part of. Sometimes teams doesn't mean you need to be a good player yeah. to be part of a leadership group mm. and stuff mm. like that. It's just your environment and your professionalism mm. that I want to use players as also. Like for example, some players to say, like, why you have him here? <laughs> Look at him. He lead by example. Mm. Yeah, he might not have the best pass, the most attacking, but him being around, everybody take it seriously. Mm. So it's just that players factor here and there. We have, but hopefully he sort his knee out. <laughs> you get what I mean? Have two years before his baby come out, 
So at least you can play rugby in front of his kid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like you say, COVID, then we get, technically we have two years off, so bodies are fresh. Yeah. I'm hoping that my players are bloody excited to play whenever there's a tournament. They should be. They should you be raring to go. They should be because, mm. excited. Um, I mean, when the when when I was talking to some of the guys about, oh, they, they told me, oh, training is resuming. We are on a bubble. We are getting mm. tested. And then I said, hey, so you go to training, what do you do? Oh, it's, it's free for all. We we were back to normal because we are we are we are tested. And I was like, mm. wow, mm. they should be they should enjoy it. They should be relishing the moment, moment and, and stuff and like that, yeah. anticipating when will be the first time they will get their boots on in a proper competition. Correct, because that is what I would be thinking of. Correct, and the, with out. the restriction we have now, hmm. it's frustrating. Exactly, but for us to be in a bubble. Yeah, it's really something special. It is a privilege. You get what I mean? It's yeah. more than I don't know what what's what better than a privilege. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I think in terms of the coaching wise, I'm really, I mean, from personal point of view, I'm really excited to to see and to give you time to see how it all plays out. Mm. Um. I mean, I no secret that my my love for for rugby and the seven squad and 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 the national team is still there and mm. I really want to see it do well. Uh. Mm. And I think you're the right man for the job to to to, to really start um, building that culture to really start taking us to certain places where we have not been before. Um, now, we we talk about we talk about coaching, we talk about playing and all these things, right? So, um, in terms of like, don't, don't, don't bring COVID like, in terms of uh, uh, high performance setup where our rugby team is at, um, where do you see we are at? Like, like in terms of Southeast Asia, in terms of Asia, what are we lacking? Uh, can we be better? Where do you see us realistically with the talent we have? Um, you know, that kind of thing. Where we at? I mean, from high, pers- high performance perspective, right? Mm. We have a lot to improve. Mm. Meaning to say, as much as we say our country is small, we can reach country and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, we are still very far off. Yeah. I think essentially it's our professionalism mindset. Mm. You get what I mean? And think like, we, we mean to start with high performance, right? We cannot have the habit of finding excuses. Mm. We must make things happen. That's how we create a pathway for high performance to search. Because in high performance, there's no such thing as almost like, oh, we cannot do this. Can we make do with something? There's no such thing. If we think that thing's going to work, we go 100% with it. Mm. We stay with the vision and just trust the process and stuff mm. like that. So in terms of high performance, right? Meaning to say, our players, I mean, our athletes have to have the uh, what do you call it? The training time. The numbers of training time have to go up. The contact time need to be there and stuff like that. So what we do to support this is also part of high performance. Mm. So mean meaning to say administration side. Mm. Do we have the ability or the manpower to support mm. if we want to take things to another level? Mm. You get what I mean? Yeah. We can ask, I can ask my players if I have, let's say, 12 bunch of committed rugby players. You are not getting paid. You're not this. But are you willing to get up every 5 a.m. in the morning to get your gym work done? Mm. If we have that players willing to do this evening training, do we have the manpower to support this place? Yeah. That's another question also. All right. You get what I mean? At the moment, we are certain things we are doing on a voluntary basis. Mm. And we only have one guy running three, four things. Mm. You get what I mean? So the, I, essentially, I think we need more manpower. 
And needless to say, we need money also. Mm. You get I me? Mean? So sponsorship needs to come in and stuff. But at the end of the day, we cannot be asking for sponsorship that much where we haven't produced results yet. Yeah. So this goes back to what we say, being a national player, we need to have a lot more. I mean, we have to have a big sacrifice yeah. to, in order for us to earn that. And you see all big sporting figures. If you see every story, nobody comes from an easy background. Mm. They have to sacrifice this, this and that to order when they get up there and the pedestal then they make the money yeah. or everything comes easy before that they are living off the age for example dollar to dollar you get I mean meeting and meet because they sacrifice to put in their training and stuff like that so back to high performance right what I want is both management and players we need to have that professional mindset mm. whatever it takes because I can find different hundreds over things to say on how to improve our high performance but if both side management and players have that professional mindset right we will change the game yeah you get what I mean in terms of element I, you can say oh we have this we have, there's, there's a lot of excuses to say from paying money alright can I say tell the players let's get the result then we demand don't demand first then you get what I mean yeah so both side management also must understand that we need to even be on our next ahead of the players so that we can support the players essentially without the players there's no team yeah you get what I mean yeah. and when there's no management nothing can be run yeah you get what I mean so both side must have that professional professional mindset mm. you get what I mean I think that will be our key mm. to going forward I, mean, I don't need to say about oh we need this more money yeah, we yeah, need yeah. this uh, what do you call that special gym program and stuff like that yeah. professional mindset because yeah. we are in a country where everything we have everything yeah it's whether we are willing to do it correct so everywhere we can get a gym yeah we can run everywhere yeah you get me we're a safe country and for us to get to a training ground the furthest is what okay now Jurong West is very far right <laughs> one hour plus <laughs> for let's say we don't need to go far for Malaysia or Thailand to run a centralized training right yeah. they don't have the luxury of doing that every day correct we have that luxury of doing that every day you yeah. get what I mean yeah. so what's our excuse now yeah Do the, does the Malaysian player get paid Thailand player get paid no Mm. or maybe maybe on a maybe on an allowance mm. that's about it so like say professionalism is a mindset not how much you get paid even you get paid 100,000 a month if you don't have that professional mindset you're still not a professional mm. you get me and you learn from Cristiano Ronaldo he's getting paid that amount X money but there's also players in the Man United team now who also get good amount of money but it's not doing half of what Ronaldo is doing yeah you get me the way he watch his diet recovery and stuff some players feel shy from the reports or the news we're reading that they are shy of what Ronaldo is doing. He's not eating the cake. No desserts. Eating. No desserts, nobody eating. Yeah. You get me? And that's yeah. why it's number one, right? Yeah. And you see, professionalism is not about how much you get paid. It's how much you're willing to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, we need to start off with a professional mindset first. Mm. I think it's a... You really struck the nail on his head, like the mindset thing. I think this is the common theme that you have mentioned throughout all the stories that you have talked about, right? Mm. The the recurring theme is the mindset. Mm. In 2007, you spoke about entering that the atmosphere where the legends of the game, the mm. Kartiks, the Rongs, mm. and the Izzy's, that, that kind of mindset. Right, they are not just training two, three, four times. They they spend their days in the gym. They commit mm. their time, and and all these stuff. The extras that they mm. do, the mindset, because they know they are representing the country. They are donning the jersey, and that is something that you took on, mm. right? And that's something that, like, even then when I was like, still picking up the game and 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 getting better and aspiring to be a national team. Like I watch these guys on TV. I watch these guys at the national stadium mm. and all that. Um, mindset. 
right? And then you go it to This goes back, again, now that you say it, it so struck something in my head. Like, when we were playing, sit, you have a job. Yeah. All have a job. Yeah. But we try our best to get down to training as early as possible. Yes. What do we do? Pass around and I'll be spending my time kicking and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like I say, it's nice to kick for Singapore, but that doesn't come naturally. That's why. I wasn't at my peak of fitness yeah. at... Uh, the last 30 seconds Daniel Mark was like point I was looking at about 30-40 meter you got nothing in your legs you just have to trust the process but good things doesn't come just like that yeah. you get I mean it comes over time yeah. and you can see the difference when you are playing and stuff everybody yeah. wants to be there correct you get I mean were we getting paid no we weren't getting nothing <laughs> I still remember I was angry. I think you remember at the stadium, uh, at the airport, we get a t-shirt with no brand. <laughs> you get what I mean? I was hey, like... Uh, we went through a few years of that though. Correct. And you see me, some, when I was a player, I was a bit more hot-headed and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. on earth is this? We are representing the country, we got t-shirt with no brand. Usually the size all haywire. Might as well put singer raw raw at the back or whatsoever, <laughs> right? Look like a Pattaya 10 steam or whatsoever. Yeah. So, but we understand what we need to be part of this. Mm. And like you say, prof- like I say again, professionalism is a mindset. Mm. You get what I mean? You can complain whatever you want to complain, but nobody force you to be there. Mm. If you want to be there, give you 100%. Mm. If not, just sit at home, watch TV is a lot better. Yeah. So, so like, again, same thing like, like you mentioned with the SEC boys. Mm. Uh, all I saw when you guys were doing the trainings and the preparation or it was just professionalism. Mm. Again, uh, nobody forced them to be there. In mm. fact, it's tough on them. Mm. It's tougher on them to pass the fitness test, to, mm. to get themselves ready so that they can get their body smashed in November mm. to play at that kind mm. of standard. But they wanted it because they knew mm. that at the back of their mind, it, this was probably the, the, the opportunity to, right. to play. And the beauty when I was coaching SC7, never once I ran a testing. <laughs> Because just from their body attitude, on their own body, I mean their body language, attitude, and character, right? On their own. Every damn training, yeah. I almost used the word <laughs> F, but yeah, every damn training, you can see they're they're pushing boundaries. Yeah, you can see they really want it. Yeah, you can see someone just shouts and let's go. You know, yeah, what yeah, even yeah, though yeah, I know, no, fuck. No. If I was a player. It reminds me every time I make them do right. This is why I'm retiring. <laughs> oh, I retire. You get what I mean? I know, I know. You get what I mean? So, I was blessed in a way. I was, yeah. I mean, I'm still grateful for that bunch of uh, self-driven players. Yeah. You get what I mean? They're not doing it for the coach. They're doing it because they understand yeah. what it takes to compete at the highest level. Yeah. And I think also the, uh, we talk about like the, I mean, we'll go into this next, the, the current current mindset of players. Mm. Uh, I, I think also, um, as much as we want to say, oh, nowadays the generation is like this mm. and then uh, we want to blame them. But I think um, to them, whoever that do, doesn't have that, that kind of mindset on it, it's also because of the influences around them, mm. the, the socioeconomic factors around mm. them uh, and the current state of uh, sport and rugby I'm blaming the TikTok culture man <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yes social media a big thing yeah um, yeah so so I think for you I, do, I don't admire your job like, apart from the coaching on the field stuff the mm. culture building mm. and then the mindset shifting the mindset shifting will take a lot of work Yep, and it goes back to the whole idea of starting from zero earning their stripes um, playing the kind of rugby that we want to play um, bringing their pride back into the national team jersey and then 
from there they can start to demand for things because they have gone through mm. all the all the hardship they've earned their right to say that hey I have been busting my butt off mm. for don't know how many sessions mm. we are doing this we are doing that now we are how we are what position in Asia what mm. uh, how many hours we have clocked in look at our bodies look at our fitness mm. test scores get us our sponsors mm. get us our this allowance but the truth this. is it if we have done all these things yeah. sponsor will come naturally exactly precisely exactly correct and Sid I, trust me if we take 5 years back 10 years back or whatsoever if that particular national team environment get whatever you said just now we will still be shy of asking <laughs> you get what I mean because different it's different you know what I mean because yeah. we want to do it for the country yeah But of course, certain people take advantage of us being nice. Yeah. So I'm also there also to make sure that I'm fighting for my players' rights. Mm. But before my players fight or demand for things, they have to do the hard yards first. Yeah. And naturally, as a coach also, I want to be fighting for my players' privileges, rights, and stuff like that. Mm. You mm. get what I mean? So yeah. that goes back into again. We need to do the hard yards first. Yeah. Both ways lah. Mm. Both ways lah. Um. Okay. Last last uh question. Now we we spoke about a lot about all this mindset thing and all that. Now, if I were to ask you to to give your best advice to to the next batch of uh, players that are going to the Sea Games, they're going to be in the national team for the next five ten years, mm. um, what would you tell them? Actually, two things, mm. or what they actually need to have mm. is work ethic and desire. Mm. You get what I mean? Yeah. Any parts of life, you need to have that work ethic. Yeah. Essentially, when you compete, you need to be wanting more than the person yeah. that is fighting for you for that spot. So, work ethic is the basic or basically fun- fundamental that you need to have as an athlete. Mm. All right, you need to be the biggest hardworking guy in the room mm. to be able to compete. Then the desire. Yeah. You I mean you need to have the desire to wake up even though your body says sleep. You get I mean you can say oh we've been training eight months. <laughs> All right, we need. We're gonna go burn out. That's yeah. mental and like from desire. We also need mental toughness. Mm. I think it's very important. Mm. Mental toughness to the extent that you cannot just sometimes you don't want to be. You want to listen to your body, yeah. But sometimes don't listen too much. You need to have mental toughness to be able to wake up, uh, wake up day in day out, yeah. To get to the gym early, yeah. Because we are governed with working hours, school hours, and stuff like that. So we need to do more than what an average person in Singapore does. Mm. If An average Joe in Singapore goes to the gym five times a week. We national player goes twice a week only. Mm. You get I me? Mean? <laughs> yeah. You you see the picture here, right? Yeah. We need to outwork not just the athlete. We need to outwork first the average Joes. Mm. Then we see our opposition what they are doing. Yeah. Are we working harder than them? Yeah. You get what I mean? Yes. Of course, that's working smart, but also working. Are we working extra hard compared to the opposition that we are playing? We need to also analyze that part of them. Yeah, you get I me. Mean? We cannot be expecting to train three times a week, thinking that we're gonna win a team that trains twice a day, five yeah. times a week. You get what I mean? And you know what I mean? Practice make perfect. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't if you, you do a lot of running nowadays, right? Mm. If you just run once a week, can you get the goal of what you want to achieve? No, right? It's almost every day. There are times where my body, my legs are not, but you still have to just do gotta it. go. And are you competing at the highest level now? No. No. So you see now, if you want to compete at the highest level, yeah. what it takes? Mm. It takes pain. Sacrifice yeah. this. So essentially, I want to have players with big, big work ethic, mm. desire, Uh, mental toughness. Mm. You get. What I mean, it's easy to jump on board now with the bandwagon of mental, uh, mental health awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very easy to jump on the bandwagon, mm. but that's 
I would sadly to say that's for normal people. But for us elite athletes, we need to be able to go to a drive mode where nothing can affect us. Yeah. You get I me? Mean? That comes to mental toughness again. Yeah. The I think the issue about mental health and mental toughness, we are we are not even at that stage. Mm. Like like people that like the athletes mm. that have voiced out problems with their mental health and all that. They are training. Don't know how many hours a day. They are pressured by media. They are pressured right. by Correct. all these kind of abuse things. every single yeah. day. <laughs> we are doesn't nowhere apply. close. Doesn't apply to <laughs> our bus is still aircon. Correct. <laughs> you get. We are still sleeping un- uh, in under a roof yes. with aircon. Yes. You get what I mean. We have time to do social media. You get what I mean. So it's like I say, mental toughness. We need that mental toughness, but it's very easy to to play that cut off. Mental health awareness. Yeah. Uh, the the it's a it's a it's a good thing, mm. but you can don't jump on the bandwagon for the sake of jumping it. Yeah. To uh, to shy away from working hard. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, to be an athlete, you need to have that competitive nature. Mm-hmm. You get I me? Mean? You want to compete day in day out, but essentially it's you versus you. Yeah. If we have that four element, I think we can go very far as an athlete. Mm. Awesome, awesome, Mansu. Um, thank you. Thank you for today. I think I, I learned a lot, and it was fun going through the memories and um, relooking at some of the incidents that we had. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you for your time. I wish you all the best in your coaching journey. I look forward to the blooming of the national team, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think it's really not an easy job. Yep. Um, but uh, I think, like I said, you have you you come in with the right mindset as a coach, and that will definitely play out in the boys. Um, so yeah, I wish you all the best, and I look forward to supporting you guys on your journey. For the thank next you, years. thank you, Sid. Thank you so much, and once again, I'm grateful for you to have me here. All right, thank you. And that is the Create Don't Hate podcast. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, if we have made a difference in your listening or your life, and you decided to suddenly want to change your mindset after listening, then we have done our job. All right, ciao. Thank you.